to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 9, verse 18, as we follow along with today's lesson. So they brought his parents. Is this your son that you say was born blind? And how is it that he can now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. Who's opened his eyes? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. They're passing the buck. They were afraid of the Jews because the Jews had already determined that if anybody would acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be excommunicated. They would not be allowed to go into the temple or they would not be allowed to go into the synagogue. They would be excommunicated from the religious life of the community. This goes back to the book of Ezra chapter 10 verse 8 where Ezra called a convocation of the people to deal with the problem and he said if any man does not come and gather with this convocation he will be put out of the camp that is of, of the camp of Israel so following that they had determined if anybody had confessed that Jesus was the Messiah they would be put out of the synagogue. And so his parents were fearful of excommunication. So they said, look, he's of age, ask him. And he can speak for himself. And so therefore uh, they called the man that was blind and they said unto him, give God the praise We know that this man is a sinner. Now, you know, just praise God. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I mean, you're saying one thing about him, and I I don't know, but this is what I know for certain. I was blind, and now I can see. Then they said unto him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Uh, they're, They're pressing now again. And I think he's sort of tired of it all. And so he answered and said, I already told you. Did you not hear? Why would you hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? It's your tomb, you know. 
I mean, he really got them. And they, re oh boy, they reviled him. They said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. Well, the fellow's into it already, so he figures he'll go all the way. And he answered and said unto them, My, here is a marvelous thing. You don't know from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes? Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, him he hears. So here's a marvelous thing, fellas. You don't know where he's come from, and yet he's opened my eyes. Now, in the Old Testament, David in the Psalms said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In Job, he said concerning the hypocrite, Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Isaiah said, God's hand is not short that he cannot save. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God. It isn't that God doesn't hear. It's just that your relationship with God has been severed as the result of your sin. And then again in Isaiah God said to the people, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear, because your hands are full of blood. And then in Ezekiel, though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. So, they believed that God did not hear the prayer of sinners. But they did believe that God heard the prayers of righteous men. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Psalm 34, 15. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Psalm 145, 19. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous, Proverbs 15, 29. So this man is using their scriptures. He said, we know that the Lord doesn't hear sinners. This, they accused Jesus of being a sinner. Give praise to God, because this man is a sinner. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but I do know. I was once blind and now I can see. So uh, he's now saying we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears. And since the beginning of the world, have you ever heard of any man opening the eyes of one who was born blind? Of all of the miracles in the Old Testament, we don't read of anyone born blind who was healed. So this man is calling their attention to that interesting fact. Since the beginning of the world, have you ever heard of a man who was born blind? 
being able to see. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Now, one of the problems of dealing with a person logically is that when you have them nailed, they become irrational. You know, they they forget argumentation and all, and they just become totally irrational. And, And what this man is saying makes sense. But they don't want to face facts. It's sort of, our minds are made up concerning him, don't confuse us with the facts. And so they answered and said unto him, You were altogether born in sins. Now, you see, they are declaring that his blindness was the result of his prenatal sins. You were born in sin. You were born blind. And are you trying to teach us? And they cast him out ostracized him. They closed the doors to him. And when Jesus heard that they had cast him out, when he had found him, the indication is here that Jesus looked for him and found him. He heard that the man had been cast out. And so he came to him and he found him. And he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? Now, in those days, they did believe that the Messiah would be the Son of God. That was the common belief among the rabbis. There was that prophecy in Isaiah, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Son is given. God is going to give his Son. And so do you believe on the Son of God? When Jesus said to his disciples, Whom do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. When Jesus was being questioned by the high priest at his trial, he said, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, you said it. He said, are you then the Son of God? And again, Jesus said, you said it. But you see, the one question followed the other. If you say that you are the Messiah, then you are saying you are the Son of God? Because in that time, they did believe that the Messiah would be the Son of God. Now, at the present time, they have changed that opinion. Today, they say that they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah because he claimed to be the Son of God, and they said, we do not believe that the Messiah will be the Son of God. That reflects a change in the whole teaching of the rabbis and a change that was brought about because of Jesus Christ. But at that time, the rabbis did believe that the Messiah would be the Son of God. 
Today they take the prophecy of Moses, there shall arise a prophet like unto myself, to him you shall give heed. And they say, Moses was a man, and thus the Messiah will be a man. But again, the logical question, if the Messiah is a man, how will you know that he is the Messiah? How are you going to recognize him? And their answer to that is, he will lead us in the rebuilding of our temple. And so the Jews today are looking for a man to come and lead them in the rebuilding of the temple, ready to acclaim him as their Messiah. Jesus said, I came in my Father's name, you did not receive me. Another one will come in his own name, him you will receive. He came declaring that he was the Son of God. A man will come, not claiming to be a son of God. They will receive him, and after that, he will then claim to be God himself. He will come to the rebuilt temple, stand in the Holy of Holies, and declare that he is God and demand to be worshipped as God. But Jesus said to him, Do you believe on the Son of God, on the Messiah? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that is talking with you. Sort of like the woman of Samaria, who said to Jesus, We know that when the Messiah comes, he is going to teach us all things. And Jesus said, Woman, I, who am speaking to you, am he. So here again, Jesus acknowledges, not publicly, but to this man who had been ostracized by the religious system of the day, the fact that he was the Messiah, Son of God. And he answered and uh, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. How is it that you can see? Well, a man named Jesus put clay in my eyes and told me to wash and I could see. But then it went from that, who do you say that he is? Well, I think he's a prophet. And now Jesus said, do you believe on the Son of God? He said, who is he, Lord? And he said, the one who is speaking to you. And he said, I believe. And he worshipped him. So the progressive revelation that ultimately brought him to the place of worship. And that is God's purpose in the revealing of Jesus Christ to us to ultimately bring us to the place of worshiping Jesus. You remember when Jesus was in Galilee and they opened up the roof of the house to let the man down with palsy and Uh, Jesus um, said unto the man, um, your sins are forgiven. They said, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said that you might know that the Son of God has power on earth to forgive sins. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, here again, uh, the idea of, of the proof by the healing of this man with palsy 
say, said to the man, take up your bed and walk, and he did. More difficult to do that than to say your sins are forgiven, but showing that he is God. And so here, only God is to be worshipped. Jesus allowed him to worship him. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might not see. And they which see might be made blind. Beg your pardon, let me read that again. <laughs> Thank you. When people get these tapes, they're going to wonder, why do you laugh? We'll let them wonder. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. He's come to open the eyes of the blind that they might see the truth of God. And yet those who are pretending to see, taking positions of uh, leadership in a religious sense, declaring to be in the light, might be blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and they said unto him, Are we blind? And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. It's so important that we not allow ourselves to be blinded by prejudice, by preconceived ideas, and by tradition. These are three things that blind people to the truth. There is traditional religion. And so many people are blinded by the traditions. You've met them, you've seen them, you perhaps know them. And, and this is within the church. People who worship by tradition, but they don't know the truth of Jesus Christ. They don't know what it is to be born again. People who are blinded by prejudice, they have their own bias, their own opinions, and they can't see it any other way. And people who are blinded by preconceived ideas. Whenever I come to the Word of God, I pray, Lord, don't let me be blinded by prejudice, by preconceived ideas, by traditions. But let my heart be open that your Holy Spirit might teach me your truth from your word. And I highly recommend that as a prayer for you when you come to the word of God. Don't come with preconceived ideas. Be willing to let the word of God speak to you over and above the traditions and over and above your prejudice. Be open. 
to the Spirit of God, instructing us from the Word of God as he leads us into the truth of God. John chapter 10. As we pointed out this morning, the context goes back to chapter 9. The healing of the man who was born blind And because of that healing, indirectly, he was ostracized, excommunicated from the religion of the day. They had determined that anyone who had declared that Jesus was the Messiah would be excommunicated not allowed to worship with the people in the temple or in the synagogue. And when he had this dispute with the Pharisees, it ended in his being excommunicated. We read that Jesus found him. And Jesus asked him the question, do you believe on the Son of God, which is the equivalent to the Messiah? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and he is now talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Now some of the Pharisees were nearby. They heard what Jesus said. And they said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say you see, therefore your sin remaineth. So this man was being put out of one fold, that of Judaism. But Jesus is receiving him into another fold, that of Christianity. And so Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And probably unto the Pharisees in the context of you say you see, therefore your sin remains. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Jesus, in a moment, is going to tell us that he is the door to the sheepfold. If any man doesn't enter by the door, the same as a thief and a robber. Jesus is now saying that there is only one way by which a person can enter into true fellowship with God. Now, He is not saying that John the Baptist and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and all were thieves and robbers. He is not condemning those men of God, but those false pretenders, false prophets, those who were pretending to lead people unto God, but leading them astray. By the time that Jesus came on the scene, the religious system of Judaism was pretty well corrupted. 
The high priest and the family of the high priest were of the sect of the Sadducees, which neither believed in angels nor spirits nor resurrection. They were materialists. They had learned how to profit off of people's desire to worship God. They had set up in the temple courts little booths, and they controlled the franchises whereby people were sold certified sacrifices, sacrifices that would immediately and automatically be accepted by the priest because they had the seal of certification. But it cost. They profited handsomely. They had money changers who would exchange the Roman currency for the temple shekel so that the people could give unto God. But it cost them handsomely to exchange the money for the temple shekel. So they were sort of skimming off the top, enriching themselves, using the religious system for their own personal gain and benefit. When Jesus came into the temple and saw them selling the sacrifices and exchanging the money, he took a whip and he drove them out. And he said, My father's house shall be called a house of prayer to all people, but you have made it a den of thieves. He was referring to the false prophets who supposedly spoke in the name of the Lord. He was referring also to those men who had preceded him who claimed to be the Messiah. In Acts Chapter 5, Gamaliel speaks of a Thutis who rose up making claims for Messiahship, gathered about 400 men around him. But when he was put to death, the whole thing fell apart. Also, he spoke of another Judas of Galilee who also made elaborate claims and how that whole system fell apart. And so counseling them concerning the apostles, he said, let them alone. If it's of God, we can't fight it. We'll be fighting against God. If it's not of God, it'll just go to pieces like the others. Jesus said, those that came before me, making the claim to be the Messiah, they were thieves and robbers. Those who were false prophets, those who were profiting off of the religion, thieves and robbers, trying to get into the kingdom some other way than by the door. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter will open and the sheep will hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. We were 
sharing with you this morning how this is a sheepfold that was in the city. And in the evening when the shepherds would come in from the fields with their various flocks, they had sort of a common sheepfold. It was a secure place. It had a gate on it. And the porter would open the gate to the shepherds and their flocks would go in and mingle during the night. In the morning, the shepherd would come to get his flock to lead them out to the pastures. And he would call and his flock would respond. The sheep knew the voice of their own shepherd. Now you could go and stand and call all day and not one of them would follow you. They don't know your voice. But they knew the voice of their shepherd. And so Jesus is, and it would be an interesting thing to go and watch the shepherd stand there and call and all of his sheep just leaving the others coming out and the others just still just not paying any attention because they didn't recognize the voice. But when their shepherd came, then you'd see them perk up and they would follow out. And so this is the the picture that Jesus is giving here. He is the shepherd. He comes to the fold. He calls and his sheep hear his voice and they respond. And he leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they know not the voice of a stranger. Now this parable, John tells us, Jesus spoke unto them. That would be unto the Pharisees and all that were there when he was receiving this blind man into fellowship, ex-blind man. But they did not understand the things which he spake unto them. It was a mystery. They couldn't figure it out. What's he talking about? So Jesus went on to explain, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now we have another type of sheepfold. This is one that is out on the countryside. In the summer months, as they had to go far for pasture, as the grass, of course, would be eaten around the area, they'd have to go further and further to find pasture in the dry summer. So they had out in the wilderness sheepfolds which were just walled in areas. They were protected in the walls from the wild animals and from uh, the wind. But uh, there was um, no door to it, just an opening in this walled enclosure of rocks. And in the evening when the shepherd would bring the sheep to this enclosure, he would hold his staff down low, making the sheep come under it to give him an opportunity to examine them to see if there were any uh, 
briars stuck in their wool to see if there were any cuts that he might anoint with oil. And once the sheep were brought in, examined and counted, then the shepherd himself would lie across the opening of the enclosure. So he became the door. You could not enter in except you enter in by the shepherd. In the same token, the sheep could not leave. He became the door to the sheepfold. And so he is declaring now, I am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me, that is claiming to be the Messiah, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and by me, if any man enter in, he will be saved. So you can come into the safety, the security of the sheepfold by Jesus Christ. And of course, talking to this blind man who had been kicked out uh, of the one fold, Jesus is saying he's come into another fold, and there he is safe. He shall go in and come out and find pasture. Now the thief, these false claimants, they came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There are still those today who lay some kind of messianic claim upon themselves. In India, there are those men who claim to be God-men. They have passed through an evolutionary transitional state from man into God, the avatar. And they claim to be God. And they draw huge followings. And they build themselves palatial mansions. And they live in the labs of luxury. They drive fleets of Rolls Royces. And they are using their position and their power over the people for their own personal gain and enrichment. There are those who claim to be the Messiah. Here in the United States, we have one such claimant. And he has his followers selling peanuts in parking lots and flowers on the street corners making merchandise of the people that he might live a very luxurious lifestyle. But they are all interested in their own personal comfort and in taking advantage of their followers to enrich themselves. Jesus said they are thieves and robbers and the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Not really interested in the flock of God. Wants to steal from them. Kill them if necessary, sell the meat, and destroy. But Jesus, in contrast, said, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and I have come that they might have life 
and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give, not to take. The true servant of Jesus Christ will give rather than take. He will minister rather than being ministered to as he follows the example of his Lord. He's more interested in the welfare of the flock of God than he is his own welfare. You will not find him begging the people for funds, but he will just trust the Lord to provide for the things that God desires to do. Jesus came to give you life. I've often said that people have such a wrong concept of Christianity, and perhaps for good reason because of some of the false prophets. Jesus came that you might have life on the highest plane. He did not come to take from you. He came to give to you and to bring you to life on the highest plane. Take life at its best. Add whipped cream, chopped nuts, and a cherry, and you've got Christianity. <laughs> I mean, he's the whipped cream. He's, the, he's just that added touch. It's life plus, more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, he said, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I didn't come to kill. I came to give my life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, he seeth the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he doesn't care for the sheep. Those who have their own interest, they really don't care for the sheep. They're hirelings. When danger comes, they'll flee. They'll forsake the flock. Why? Because it's not their flock and they really don't care for it. All they care is the wages that they can get from keeping the flock. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Again, he repeats it. And I know my sheep and am known of mine. And as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. Later on in the 15th chapter, Jesus will say, greater love has no man than this, then a man will lay down his life for his friends. He's saying here, I will lay down my life for the sheep. It's a prophecy. Because in six months, within six months, he will actually lay down his life for the sheep. And then Jesus said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. 
Here's talking about you. In the 17th chapter of John, as he is praying for his disciples, he prays that God will not only bless them, but all who will come to believe in me through their word. So that includes us, we who have come to a faith in Jesus Christ through the reading of the Gospels, the New Testament. The prayer of Christ is all-inclusive. It includes us. When Paul is writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he talks about how Jesus has broken down the wall that once existed between the Jew and the Gentile. That wall that had been built up to exclude the Gentile from salvation. That wall of separation that kept you outside. But he talks about how Jesus has broken down the wall and made us all one. And here Jesus is declaring that. I have other sheep, they're not of this fold. And them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. And so, as, as Paul lays this out to the Ephesians, how that the church is one, and we Gentiles, who were once without hope and without God in this world, have been brought nigh through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been made partakers of the promises of God and of the covenants, and we've been brought into this covenant relationship with God. And so then he goes on to declare, for there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism and all, and, and so the Lord has made of the two one. He's, he's brought us together so that we are all of the onefold uh, Jesus, the chief shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd, uh, and has brought us Gentiles into the fold of God. Oh, how glorious, how glorious that is. And he said, therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. The laying down of his life was an act of submission to the Father. As Paul told the Philippians, though he was in the form of God and thought it not something to be grasped, to be equal with God, yet he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of man. And he came in the likeness of man as a servant and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him, given him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the emptying of Jesus and then the exalting of Jesus by the Father because of his obedience, submission to the will of the Father. In the garden, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, thy will be done. On one occasion, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He speaks about his father's love for him. My father loves me because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Now, here should settle an age-old issue. 
as to who crucified Jesus. There has been sharp tension between the Roman Catholic Church and the Jews because both of them seek to lay upon the other the blame for the, cruci- for the crucifixion of Jesus. The Roman Catholic Church has persecuted the Jews. They called them Christ killers. I was talking with a friend in Israel who was saying that as he grew up in South America, Every day he had to run home from school because the boys would throw rocks at him. He said the Christian boys would throw rocks at me, calling me a Christ killer. And he said, so that was my introduction to Christianity. But the Jews said it, were, it was the Romans, clearly the Romans who crucified him. It was under the edict of the Roman court and the Roman soldiers were the ones that did it. And so the argument goes on and on, each trying to throw the blame on the other. But they're both wrong. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. So it isn't the Jew who is to blame. It's not the Roman soldiers who are to blame. In a sense, you might say, it is God who is to blame. For God so loved the world, including you and me, that he gave his only begotten son. It was my sin that took him to the cross. I am the guilty one. He died for me. And I'm so glad he did. But he said that he did it. He laid it down himself. No man takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. We remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And because it was the day of the preparation for the Sabbath, the next day was the the special Sabbath of that holiday, the beginning of the unleavened bread. And so they didn't want the bodies to be hanging on the tree on the Sabbath day, which began at sundown. So they came to Pilate they asked permission to break the legs of the those that were hanging on the cross, Jesus and the other two, to break their legs in order to hasten the death. And they were granted permission, and so they came and they broke the legs of the two thieves. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, so they did not break his leg, but the soldier just put his spear through his side into his heart, and there came forth blood and water. But you remember as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then it says, he bowed his head and dismissed his spirit. No man, he said, takes my life from me. I give my life. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. And he proved he had the power to lay it down. 
As he bowed his head, he dismissed his spirit. He said, okay, you can go now. I have the power to do that. He also said he had the power to take it up again. And on the third day, he did that. He rose from the dead. So no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. And this commandment, he said, I have received of my father. So there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a devil. Why do you listen to him? He's crazy. Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And so they're still faced with this miracle. They can't give an explanation for it. Obvious miracle. A man born blind is now there he sees. And, And so it creates the division. Now, some two months later or so. You see, this all took place around the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, which takes place in October. On December the 25th, they have the Feast of Dedication, also called the Feast of Lights, and today known as Hanukkah. And so... John jumps over a couple of months of the life of Jesus without any comment. And we are back again in Jerusalem some two and a half months later at the Feast of Dedication. Now, this is one of the feasts of the Jews that does not appear in the Mosaic Law. It is not one of the required feasts for them to be in Jerusalem They can observe the Feast of Dedication anywhere. And it is the feast by which they were commemorating the rededication of the temple after it had been profaned by the uh, Syrian uh, ruler Antiochus Epiphanes. He, in cold and calloused, disregard for the Jews, put the image of Jupiter in their temple, in the Holy of Holies. And he offered a pig as a sacrifice upon the altar of God. He profaned the temple of God. There was a family, the Maccabees, and Judas Maccabeus one of the boys, led a rebellion against the rule of Syria and they overthrew the Syrians, drove them out. And they decided to rededicate the temple to cleanse it from the impurities of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so... They had the Feast of Dedication that followed year after year to celebrate the dedication once again of the temple and the cleansing of the profaning of the temple under this Syrian ruler. We'll 
We'll return with more of our in-depth study of the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the division of the Jews. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 9-10 through when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, we know how easy it is to fall into tradition, into interpreting the scripture by our preconceived ideas, or oftentimes by our early training, so that we develop a bias, a prejudice. And Lord, our eyes then are closed. We're not open to the things that you would teach and show to us from your word. Lord, we thank you that where we were once blind, now we see. Thank you for opening our eyes to that life in Christ that we can enjoy. Thank you, Father, that you have caused us to be born again by the Spirit of God. And coming into this dimension of the Spirit, We can walk in the light, even as you are in the light. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to ever be open to hear your voice as you speak to us through the word. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For those who like to read books electronically on their mobile devices, you can now download most of Pastor Chuck and Kay Smith's books to your Kindle reader or any mobile device, such as your cell phone. What a blessing to be able to have these resources with you at all times, especially when you're in a place to minister to another person. If you read ebooks, then you know the advantage of being able to search, find, and minister within seconds. And with all of Pastor Chuck and Kay's insights into biblical wisdom, this is a great opportunity to be able to gain from their books so you can share the good news with others. If you would like more information on how to download Pastor Chuck and Kay's ebooks, you can call the Word for Today Customer Service Department at 1 800 272 9673. That's 1 800 272 9673. 
or to download most of Pastor Chuck and Kay's ebooks online, visit thewordfortoday.org. Again, that's thewordfortoday.org.